There, there's an interesting aspect of our faith and our worship that I think we sometimes don't address or else we address it only in the periphery, on the side. And the reason is part of it is something sometimes we, we fear going too far. We fear being an extreme. We fear even if it's really there. Um, and, and I mean that sense of both the aspects of it and sometimes our faith. Um, that difficulty of dealing with what we call faith. And sometimes I'll put it, I'll put it this way as the way I feel is it's a sensitivity to God's presence. And how do you sense him being there? And part of the question, actually, I guess I should back up even a step, is do you sense him there? Do you sense God's presence? Um, there were some polls out that talked about, yeah, I know I had to talk about polls. Um, there were some polls that talked about the fact that up to 38% of people in Christian churches who are regular attenders admit they've never felt God's presence. Another 20 plus percent said they've only felt it once or twice. And the richness of a relationship with God and what they're missing. Um, it's not something necessarily that you can fully go into on a maybe a Sunday morning. That's why I thought tonight would be a good one to bring this about as a discussion and, and talking point to encourage you to think about it in your private life, and I mean by that your prayer life. When you quiet things down, when you are worshiping God, what does it mean to draw up close to his presence? Let's take a moment and start off by asking him to join us here. Heavenly Father, we call on your promise that wherever two or three are gathered, you will join and you will be there. And we ask now in this time that you will just, as the evening fades, guide us with alert hearts and minds and sensitive souls, Lord, to what it means to draw more closely to you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. One of the things that we fear sometimes is that, that mystical aspect of Okay, so what do you mean you drew close to God? What, 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 you know, we don't want a, a mysticism there, something that's just reaching out, and any way you get to God, that's how you get to God. That's what the world does. Oftentimes when you talk about, this isn't a religion, it's a relationship, right? It's one of those little you know, bumper stickers, right? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And there's some truth to that, because that's what separates it from mysticism, where we go off and meditate on, Ohm or whatever to reach God. God's very clear. He's given prescriptive directions on how to reach him and who to go through. It's not the blank meditation. In fact, a lot of people get that wrong. They need to just clear their mind and, and, and God will be there. 
In fact, Paul addresses it and says, no, you're to make your mind a fortress and control what comes in and goes out of your mind very closely. Nor is drawing close to God an emotional roller coaster. There's some people that they have to get hyped up because they got to get, they're feeling down by Wednesday or Thursday. I got to get to church because I got to get pumped up again. That's not what it's about either. Getting close to God isn't an emotional high that, okay, and then guess what? Dr. Dobson's got a couple of books out about, you know, not trusting your emotions. Okay? There's a reason for that. Our emotions deceive us. Our faith is to be there even when the emotions and everything else goes dead or dry or sorrowful, or turns inside to pity. David teaches us that repeatedly in the Psalms, because no matter where his emotions are, he turns them back to God. And historically, in the Old Testament, from David all the way back through, there's a tension between the priests and the prophets on what it means to you know, what is this tension of mysticism or this drawing close to God versus we have to do these things? And there's kind of this legal side and an individual side that how do you balance those? And as you look at it, I think it come together beautifully in Christ. He draws on the rabbinic titles. What do they call them? Rabbi, teach us. And yet he's out there doing the miracles that the prophets do. And the Pharisees and others look at him and go, uh, what are we supposed to do? He, he outknows us, and yet he still does these things. Uh, and there's this tension there that comes together in Jesus. But it's a touchy issue for us because, let's, let's face it, I mean, we live in a scientific age, right? You can't see, touch, taste, hear, smell, right? Does it really exist? David Hume did us in with that. Where are we back to with this? If we can't touch it, our society has a real question on that. And we come around a long ways nowadays because, I mean, you can talk about angels nowadays, right? Everybody's got the little angel pens. You can buy little angel pins. Everybody's got a guardian angel. What happens if you bring up the demon, though? Oh, you don't really believe in those, do you? I mean, Satan or the devil? Come on. Are you serious? And that's how we tend to look at, well, it just, it's okay. Yeah, there's a guardian angel there, and we leave it at that. Cold, never drawing close, and not wanting to really draw on a spiritual side of ourselves, a side that we close off and shut down. Now, what is it about God's presence? What is there? What would we do? Matthew 28, what does Jesus say? At the end of it, he says, Lo, I am with you always until the end of the earth. Right? I am with you always. Do you believe that? What does always mean? We talk to the kids, right? When we're explaining things. What does always mean? Always, continuously. Without end. Without ceasing. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in those who claim Christ as their Savior. When you have that good news, that Holy Spirit's in you, and he's dwelling in you. He's living there. Because of that, we should recognize God more closely, shouldn't we? Think about it. Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, heard God coming even after they had sinned. 
They heard God coming in the evening and said, we better hide. As it continues, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sometimes were very surprised when they woke up and went, God's in this place. Whoa. I just had a meeting with God. God's presence was here. He spoke to me. He gave me a dream. He, he was here in person. He wrestled with me. And they built an altar to it. In fact, actually, that's the terms there, like where Moses came up to the burning bush, the idea of awe, awesome, where we get our term and we use so overly and way too much. That word awe has its roots back in that kind of a meaning where they would come up to a place and it was without words, without expression. It reached you at a deeper level. Said something is going on here that is well beyond me. And our pre-scientific mentality understood that. This was a place where God was at. Israelites were led by what? Cloud during the day, pillar of fire at night. What an awesome symbolism of God's presence. I mean, right there, up front, close and personal. Look out the tent. Yep, it's there. Now, if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us, don't we have something close to that? Don't we have something even better than that? We don't even have to look outside the tent. Oh, yeah, God's still there. Now, Moses actually glowed from being in the presence of God. They used to, have, if you've seen the the, the old, uh, what do you call them, sculptures, they had Moses with little horns on him. That's because they misunderstood that they under, didn't understand that there were rays coming off him. They didn't understand the fact that he actually glowed from being in the presence of God, meeting with God. Now. Those, in our minds, we sometimes think, okay, wait a second. Those are Bible stories. That was Old Testament. That was, that was a long time ago. God doesn't work that way now. Can I suggest we look at a verse real quick? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It says this. It says, but realize this. Then in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Verses 1 through 4, we'd have no problem saying, well, look at the papers. Watch C-SPAN, watch the news. You can see that all day. In fact, you watch the soap opera, you can catch most of that in one hour. But we come to that fifth verse, what do we do? Do we hold a form of godliness? And then deny that power thereof? Do we deny that God can draw close to us? Do we deny that God will allow us to draw close to him? 
Now, assuming we're all on board the fact of God and his power, so let's continue on here a little bit. In fact, I want to look at Elijah in that there's an aspect of the personalness of God. Um, 1 Kings 19, if you want to turn there, you can, um, is an interesting point because Elijah has just come from Mount Carmel. He's defeated the cultists. In one of the coolest passages, I think, in the Bible, he called down fire on the water, ate it all up, sacrificed it to God, even the rocks. That's pretty cool. And then said, okay, kill the cultists. You know, <laughs> this is the real God. They're liars. Get rid of them. Has the rains coming, ends the drought. And to top it off, when the king's heading back to town with 12 horses in front of his chariot, he hikes up his robe and outruns him because the power of God was with him. And yet when he gets back there, well, you know what happens, right? Jezebel sends him an angry note, and he leaves. He hits the wilderness, kind of wakes up, and there's an angel standing there and says, Look, rest, eat. He does. Wakes up again. The angel says, Look, rest, eat. you got a long journey ahead of you. He does so, and he gets up and journeys. It says in verse 9, Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, to me, what strikes me, a couple of things. One is, it's the same question. Now, if Eliza falls down, I'm headed to pick her up, aren't I? I'm going to, because she's crying, I'm going to get right up. Regina's probably going to run me over to get there and first before me, because she's a mom. That's what they do, right? But if a little child falls over to you and they're crying, you go, what's your problem? You draw close to them, don't you? That's what God did for Elijah in that moment. He heard Elijah. Elijah said all these things, but Elijah was crying as a child. And what did God do? He moved in close. I think it's interesting that God said to Elijah, go out to the cave entrance and I'll meet with you. Elijah didn't head right out there. He waited until he heard the Lord. He knew the presence of the Lord. He was sensitive to that. In fact, it says after all these things had gone through, 
When Elijah heard it, that gentle blowing, that gentleness, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. If we will run to a child who's fallen down and is hurting, how much more our Father in Heaven? If our child asks for bread, do we give him a stone? If we ask for fish, do we give you a snake? No. No snakes. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? It's Matthew chapter eleven, verse, or chapter 7, verse 11. It's reiterated over in Luke as well. In the, context, in the context of asking, seeking, knocking, laying out the golden rule, God is telling you how good he is. He's going to draw close to you. Are you going to allow him to do that? And also I would ask you, when he does that, are you going to be sensitive enough to recognize it? Here's what I mean. Let's, let's look into this mystery of God drawing close to us. Because the first question is, like Elijah, do we listen? Adam and Eve heard God coming. Uh-oh, he's coming, got to hide. Elijah heard it. Oh, now it's time to go out. Do we really take the time to listen? And is it something we do, or have we quenched the Spirit so many times? Uh, no, that's not really. That's just not, No. And in so doing, have we pushed God off? We go to pick up that little child and they're going like this, right? How often are we like that to God? Because I, I can tell you, when, when you're in the Spirit and you're seeing God move, um, I'll give you an example of this Sunday school class. Um, I wish Justin was here. He was always good at this. We talk about something in Sunday school class. What would happen? Well, but by the time we got to church service and court was preaching, what was the answer? What would happen? Court would reiterate it. Court would say something. Court and I didn't pre-plan our our, our Sunday school and worship stuff. In fact, we usually didn't know what each other was doing. Somebody else does. And as we would come to those things, Justin was always real good about sitting there and you'd get this look back like, how did you guys, it's not us. Keep pointing that out, it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit working, trying to put something into your hearts so you understand it. And I sit back and say, thank you, Lord. You know, I'd share that with court sometimes, periodically afterwards. Yep, did you see him look? Because that's one of those amazing things, like, Keith called me the other day and said, I just had a God thing happen. Really? Yeah. It's one of those things where, do you write things off and go, that's just coincidence, that couldn't have happened. Or is it a God thing? Do you recognize God drawing near? Do you recognize God's hand at work? And before we talk about how we are sensitive and how we can be more sensitive to it, I want to back up a little bit and talk about God revealing himself to us. One is, God presents himself. God is everywhere, okay? Let's understand that, first of all. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. 
He's omnipresent. Okay, he is everywhere. Some people you get the Sunday school question: Does that mean God's in hell? Well, let me suggest to you that in a sense he is there in the form of his wrath and his justice. And that should scare us to the bone. I mean, just, that's a frightening thought. But he is everywhere and he knows everything. Psalms 139 talks about how you can't hide from God. It doesn't matter where you go. If you go off to an island, you go into the deep, you go wherever. He's there. Also, as we mentioned, his wrath may manifest in hell, but God's dwelling places in heaven. We recognize as such. That's where his glory and majesty are focused and manifest. From there, we also have the God presents himself in the form of Christ. His son, the person that came exemplified in John 1.1, 1, 1, and the word became flesh. In verse 14, even his name, what is it? Emmanuel means God with us. Notice how we have God presenting himself. God also presents himself to each of us as Christians through the indwelling of the Spirit. That Spirit that he made available to come out to us. John 14, 16 and 17 says this, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, I want you to understand that we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, as he presents himself in specific ways. First of all, there's general revelation. Walk outside, look at creation. Einstein called it what? God doesn't play dice. You can't look at everything around you and go, big bang, it happened. It doesn't make sense. Look at it. Why is there things that are beautiful? Why are there all these things? It points to something. It points, even as Romans chapter 1 says, to a creator. From the beginning, it has pointed to a creator. There's specific revelation. That's this. Right here. It's God's word given to us that says, look, you looked out and you knew something was out there. Here it is. Here's the details. Here's the fine print. Read it. Because I'm not going to have games with you. I want you to understand. This is how you know me. I've given it to you very specifically. Even beyond that is the direct revelation through his son. When Jesus Christ stepped foot on this planet, Born as a baby, in the form of man, still 100% God, the very word incarnate, this incarnate. And maybe I should say it the other way around. This is Jesus incarnate in a way. Is a form of the revelation, is God speaking to us. Now, if we have that revelation, what do we do with it? Do we go, oh, okay, that's nice. We'll read our verses. We'll read a couple of chapters. It's my duty to read my, my devotion each day, so I make sure I read that, and that's nice. I always like the phrase, the more you're in the Word, the more the Word gets in you. Isn't that interesting how that works? 
doesn't do that with other books, but it does with the Bible. The reason for that is directly from God. There's a subtlety of enjoying and maturing as a Christian and enjoying the presence of God. And to do that, you have to be more sensitive to it. See, as the Spirit indwells, and this is based on, again, four Christians. Like I said, I'm not sure this is appropriate for a Sunday morning as much as it is for what I would hope are in Christians tonight, everyone who's a professed believer, members here, have come to that point in their life where we acknowledge Christ as our Savior. But the way to reach that next level is three simple processes after that. It's in your Bible, it's in your church, and it's in your faith. And it's working all three of those together. And I mean it in the sense of working it because we talked earlier, as Court read in Ephesians, I started to smile. We use that verse because it's like James says, it's walking the talk. Now it's time to work out the faith. It's not working to get faith. It's growing it and utilizing it. Now, some people say, I do that and I got nothing. Part of that 38% that goes, presence of God, what are you talking about? I don't get it. I went down, I signed something up, I don't feel the presence of God. What do you mean by that? There are reasons why we don't feel some of that. And some of what I would suggest to you is this. First of all, in Jeremiah, our hearts are wicked. They are seared. Romans says that they are darkened. And even when the Spirit comes in and changes it, our instincts and a climate around us are to cling to that old man that says, no, no, no. Okay, fine. There's, there's, godly, there's God. He's up there. But, you know, he's not really going to draw close to me. 1 Timothy 4, 1-3 says this, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such demons come, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Depending on what channels you watch on television, you can get those searing channels. They're on there. Depending on what churches you've been around the general philosophies of our age are focusing on that. They sear our consciences. There are a myriad of sinful causes, but at the root of it, it's all sin. And what I want to do is encourage you on this as we wrap up is, look, there are cures. If you haven't drawn close to Jesus you haven't drawn close to God and felt his presence, sensed it like Adam and Eve going, whoa, he's coming. Elijah knowing it's coming. Let me suggest to you three little ways to do that. And I want you to correlate them with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think it's an interesting, I didn't come up with three to start off in in doing this. I was looking and looking and came across, it narrows down to these three. Go to a peaceful, natural setting. 
Yes, I'm talking about general revelation. Go out and get away from the hubbub, the busyness. For me, it means leaving my Blackberry someplace. You know, getting out, calming down. One of the things I suggest to you is, is, you remember how Christ said that the very rocks would cry out if we didn't, you know, praise the Lord. And what I suggest to you is they're already crying out. Look around at the majesty and the beauty of what God has created around us and let that start to draw your heart to him. An opportunity for praise. It gives you also an ability to be calm like Elijah and wait for that still small voice. Two is this, is being in his word. Okay? Not out of duty, but out of love. Finding a favorite passage and dwelling on it. Thinking about it. Looking and asking the Spirit to open up Scripture to your eyes, to understand it better. And part of that is memorizing it, because you have to put the Word in your heart. Not just glaze past it, but actually put it in. Thirdly is praying and singing His praises throughout the day. That cannot be underestimated. Pray without ceasing. Okay? I can tell you time after time where starting singing, singing a praise changed from my attitude to the situation. It's God going, okay, child, I hear you, and pulling us close. See, you notice that correlation, the Father, Son, the Spirit there? I found that very interesting how God relates that to us because all of it points back to God. His Son points to God. The Son points to the Father. The Spirit points to the Father. Because Jesus said, it's your will, not mine. Now, Paul, as a kind of a wrapping up, recommends a salve. He puts it this way in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I encourage you, when you're in rough times, lonely times, or maybe even some of the deserts of your life, focus on these all the more. Focus on these practices, not in and of themselves, but because God has put them there for us to come to him and be sensitive to him. All we have to do is call out, and he comes, even like Elijah, and he comes closer to us. Just like a mother, when the child falls, he draws closer to us. So let's be encouraged by that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, love just seems like a word that is too small to cover it. We thank you for your care, the way you watch over us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to overcome darkened hearts and limits that we put on ourselves to draw close to you and to be sensitive to your presence. Lord, we ask that you would guide us more closely. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.